today's Sound Theology Bite, we're going to be asking the question, who is Paul in Romans 7, 14 through 25? And you might be wondering why it matters. Well, it matters because how you interpret this passage will have some impact on how you view the Christian life and our struggle with sin. Is Paul describing his Christian experience in Romans 7, 14 through 25? Or is this a description of Paul in his pre-converted state? And to just remind you, this is the passage where Paul is talking about how he wrestles with sin. He does the things that he uh, does not want, and he doesn't do the things he wants, and he struggles with his desires. And so I'd encourage you to go look at that passage as we talk about it, and so you can see it as we walk through it. Now, this is one of the most debated passages in the Bible. There are three major uh, interpretations. One views Paul as a Christian, describing his Christian experience. One views Paul as an unbeliever, describing his uh, pre-conversion experience. And a third, not as common, but it's articulated by Martin Lloyd-Jones, says that we ask the wrong question if we inquire about Paul's spiritual status in this passage. Rather, Lloyd-Jones asserts that Paul's explaining what happens when someone pursues sanctification according to the law rather than by the Spirit. Now, I don't want to enter into the intricacies of the debate in this post. Rather, I want to offer you what I believe is the best reading of the evidence, which accords with a uh, Christian view of this passage, that Paul is describing his Christian experience in Romans seven fourteen through 25. Here's why. One, Paul's description of his struggle with sin in Romans seven fourteen through 25 is nowhere found in his pre-conversion testimony or in the description of other Pharisees in the New Testament. Paul's description of his struggle with sin in Romans seven fourteen through 25 seems to be at odds with how he describes his life before Christ elsewhere in the New Testament. Philippians 3, 4 through 6 does not indicate that Paul wrestled with or agonized over his sin like he does in Romans seven fourteen through 25, nor do the personal narratives he offered in Acts 24, 1 through 27 and Acts 26, 1 through 32 indicate that Paul was deeply troubled over his sin prior to his conversion to Christ. Furthermore, Jesus' description of the Pharisees, of which Paul was one, in Matthew 23, 24 through 26, appears to undo the idea that a pre-converted Jewish leader would have wrestled mightily with the inconsistency between his desires and actions. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you also appear outwardly righteous to others, but within are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Rather than depicting a violent struggle with sin, Jesus portrays these men as those who have fully yielded to their inward sinfulness and hypocrisy. There is simply no indication in Paul's description of his life before Christ or in Jesus' description of the Pharisees that they would have grappled with sin the way that Paul describes in Romans seven fourteen through 25. Point number two. Paul, in Romans 7, 5 through 13, spoke of past realities. In seven fourteen through 25, he speaks of present realities. Starting with Romans 7, 5, it seems natural to read the flow of Paul's argument moving from his pre-conversion experience to his experience of conviction of sin to his post-conversion experience. The question Paul is answering in Romans 7, 7 through 25 is how God's good law relates to a sinful person. Specifically, if we need to die to the law, should we conclude that the law is bad? No, Paul answers. The problem isn't with the law. It is with our sinful flesh. Before we were converted, the law aroused our sinful passions and we continually bore fruit for death. The law came to Paul and said, do not covet. And his flesh responded by producing all kinds of coveting. The commandment therefore killed him. What we need to notice is that Paul speaks in terms of a past experience in Romans 7, 5 through 13. We were in the flesh. Our sinful passions were at work. Sin produced all kinds of coveting. The law killed Paul. Sin came alive and Paul died. 
This is all language of Romans 7, 5 through 13. When we enter into Romans 7, 14 through 25, Paul speaks exclusively in the present tense. This change of perspective would argue for a change in Paul's spiritual status. In Romans 7, 5 through 13, he is describing his pre-conversion experience. In Romans 7, 14 through 25, Paul is describing his present Christian experience. All right, point number three. Paul distinguishes between the I and the flesh or the sin that dwells in him in Romans 7, 17 through 22. Throughout Romans 7, 14 through 25, Paul repeatedly makes a distinction between the I and the sin that troubles him. This distinction between the I and the flesh is further expressed in another distinction, namely between Paul's desires and his actions. Romans 7, 15 says, I do not do, that's action, what I want, that's desire, but I do action, what I hate, that's desire. Romans seven sixteen. if I do, that's action, what I do not want, that's desire, I agree with the law that it is good. Romans seven seventeen. so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Romans seven eighteen. for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out, that's action. Romans seven nineteen. for I do, do not do, that's action, the good that I want, that's desire, but the evil I do not want, that's desire, I keep on doing, that's action. Romans seven twenty. Now if I do, that's action, what I do not want, that's desire, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And then finally, Romans seven twenty five. thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul's point, I would argue, is that his relationship to the flesh and to the law is substantially different to what it was in Romans 7, 5-13. There's a new I with new desires that battle against the flesh and doesn't merely yield to it as it once did. The flesh is still potent, but it doesn't characterize Paul at a fundamental level in his personhood as it once did. The controlling I is the new Paul. This interpretation fits well with what Paul has just described in Romans 6, 1-23 with regard to the Christian's freedom from slavery to sin. It also fits well with how we understand the new covenant, which leads to my next point. Point number four, Paul delights in, uh, in the law of God in the inward man. One of the first and most basic marks of true conversion is a desire for the Word of God. This desire is not the mere enjoyment of a new intellectual stimulus or aesthetic beauty. This is a delighting and tasting and loving of the Word of God as one's very life. And you can see this in Psalm 119, verse 16, 24, 35, and 47. For the believer, the Word of God is bread and drink to the soul. That's Matthew 4, 4. This new spiritual taste is the fruit of the new covenant, which is described in Ezekiel 36, 26-27. Paul's confession of his inward delight of the law does not square with the experience of an unconverted person. God's word may create some kind of superficial joy in an unbeliever, but it is never a deep and abiding spiritual enjoyment. Indeed, it is the trouble brought about by the word of God that produces uh, that causes the unbeliever to retreat, and that's Matthew 13, 21. Yet it is precisely Paul's delight in the law that compels the apostle, the apostle to war against indwelling sin. Point number five. Paul describes this experience in a similar way in Galatians 5.17, and the passage in Galatians clearly refers to believers. The language of Galatians 5.17 appears to match the experience Paul describes in Romans 7.14-25. In Galatians 5.17, there is no question that Paul is referring to believers. This is Galatians 5.17. I'm going to read 16-18. through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Finally, last point, point number six, this is my experience. 
I believe Paul is referring to his Christian experience because Romans 7, 14 through 25 describes my experience. Now, I put this point last because it is the least important among all the other reasons. My experience cannot be used to twist a biblical text to say what I want it to say. I must yield to what it is says objectively in the text, no matter what my experience seems to tell me. Nevertheless, Scripture tells us that experience can serve to open our eyes to what is really there in the text, so my experience should not be quickly set aside. The psalmist, for example, says, quote, It was good that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. That's Psalm 119.71. In the case of the psalmist, he was enabled to learn something about God's word that he would not have otherwise learned had he not experienced what he experienced. I cannot, I cannot ultimately appeal to my experience. However, I must appeal to the text and to sound argument. That's why I gave you reasons one through five before this one. So these are the six reasons why I believe we should see Paul as a Christian in Romans seven fourteen through 25 and to see it as the normal course of life that the Christian will wrestle with sin at a deep level. His desires will not always match his actions. He is a new person with new desires, and he still has to war against the flesh, and he will war against the flesh until he goes to be with the Lord Jesus. But even in then, he can say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, because it is he who delivers us from our sin and our bondage to it. Thanks be to him. We'll see you next time. 